Welcome to season three of Spotless, Breaking the Boundaries of Television, where creative, technology, and television converge. Brought to you by two media trailblazers, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you conversations with the industry's boldest and most inspiring voices. I'm your host, Alexis Ross, and with me today is Katie Hanafy, Senior Director and Head of Media Strategy and Investment at PepsiCo. Katie, welcome. Thank you for joining us for season three of Spotless. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's really a pleasure. We'd love to start by hearing about your impressive career. Can you share how your experience working on the agency side led to your current role at PepsiCo? Sure, absolutely. So I've been in the industry for 15 plus years now, and I started out of college, probably like every other college graduate, not knowing where they were going to end up. And I ended up getting a job at a media agency, which, by the way, I studied marketing, but I didn't even know what media really was. So I ended up getting this fantastic job at Western Media, which doesn't exist anymore. It's now Initiative Media. And I was in a planning group and I started to do planning for a couple accounts like Hardee's and started to learn the fundamentals of media planning. And then I moved around probably like every agency person does. They jump around to different agencies, right? And I did uh, a stint at Media Edge where I started getting into the buying aspect. So I did planning and then I moved over to buying. And then I moved over to MediaVest to work on the the P&G business. And that was a unique role because it was really about product product placement and building media marketing programs. So it was taking a combination of media planning and buying and then infusing it with these great media partners that we have and content partnerships. So I really started to figure out everything that all the media could offer. And then, you know, the industry got smaller and I knew someone who went up to PepsiCo and they, you know, thought of me for a job. And I've been there ever since. I will say the job that I started at is very different where I ended up at PepsiCo, but it's been a wild ride and and it's been fantastic. But it really sounds like you've been able to take every piece of experience and learnings that you've had from even the beginning to lead into where you are now. A hundred percent, especially the the experience at MediaVest, you know, building these media partnerships. I've really taken that learnings and really started to lead the group and and start to lay that foundation. And a lot of that is a big component of what our brands do now today. And speaking of those brands, PepsiCo has been around for over 50 years. The actual Pepsi beverage has been around even longer. With PepsiCo being the second largest food and beverage company in the world, what do you do to keep up with industry and consumer trends? And how do you do... uh, How do you maintain a position as a leading brand in the industry to continue to stay relevant? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I would say we are very uh, lucky and privileged working at PepsiCo because we do have a lot of resources and we have a tremendous amount of smart people who are always, always thinking about what is next and the consumer. So for us, everything starts with the consumer. So to your point, how do we stay on top of trends? We have a group of insights, team of folks that are always trying to figure out what the next white space is, where consumers are going, if it's more health conscious, if it's lower sugar, if it's energy need, if it's a new flavor that they're looking for. And we have a great innovation and research team. So so that is uh, something that I think we do very well. 
and then on the media side, you know, we work across the board with our agency partner. We're out in the marketplace. We're talking to industry experts and we're trying to figure out where people are consuming media, which is not easy because everyone is everywhere, right? And there's new platforms. So it is getting harder, but we do try to stay connected on all that. You know, we talk to research companies, we read white papers, you know, we're part of the ANA. So I think there's just a whole horse host of resources that we tap into all the time to make sure that we're on the cutting edge. And then I would just add one other thing that our brands are, are phenomenal at is trying to figure out what is happening in culture. So listening to social media, understanding what people are saying and commenting on our pages and starting to figure out, you know, on the Twitter side, what is bubbling up? What are people talking about? And then we take those learnings and then we try to, you know, transform it or make it into a marketing campaign or something that's relevant that we can give back to our consumers. So you can add mind reading to your list of professional qualities because it's exactly where I was going to go with that, which are what are some of the things that you're doing to attract and maintain the next generation of PepsiCo consumers? And specifically, we'd love to hear more about, as you mentioned, other media platforms. It is such a broad space right now. Um, is this all data driven? Is this experiential driven with, with your team and how you, how you suss this out? Yeah. So I think there's, it's a combination uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to go back to everything is about innovation for us. So our brand teams are awesome about like, what is the next new product or ex line extension that we want to come up with? And for example, like this year we launched Pepsi Nitro, which was a nitro infused Pepsi, which is delicious and very different, but also tastes really good. And then on our Mountain Dew side, you know, we have a lot of different flavors of major melon and Baja Blast. So we try to always bring our product innovations and then we bring that through to the media aspect. So a great example of that is right now, uh, Baja Blast is running an under the cap program, right? So if consumers can connect, collect a couple of flavors, it'll unlock another flavor. So there's always some sort of value that we're trying to bring back and all of that gets pulled through through media, right? It gets, media is what amplifies it. Media is what drives that connection to consumers. And that can come to life on a Snapchat lens where it's interactive and engaging. It can come to life on a TikTok challenge. And then it can come to life with just a really super cool video that we run on linear TV and we run on YouTube. And then we look to use, you know, data to inform, you know, what piece of content would be more engaging uh, for one consumer versus another. So that a little bit of that personalization is, is included in it. Uh, especially if there are multiple prizes. So we can say, hey, this might this flavor might be more important to you because we've already identified you as this type of consumer. So everything is, is soup to nuts, data informed, understanding what the consumer value is, and then utilizing you know, the media platforms that make the most sense. Absolutely. And that quantity of options is really what is one of the most revolutionary things about today is that you can gets people so many places, but you also have to find people at so many places. Could you go into a little more detail about the importance of PepsiCo's presence across, on, specifically on the TV side, linear, digital, and CTV, and the different objectives that PepsiCo has for each of those mediums? Sure, absolutely. You know, since we're a packaged good company, we need to reach a lot of people at a very efficient cost, right? And traditionally, linear TV has done that, right? You know, we have to sell a lot of product. Uh, and I always like to say at any given time, somebody can be thirsty, right? So, so we want to make sure that we have scale in the masses. But to your point, it is harder and harder to do that as consumers are consuming content 
in very, very different ways than what they were. So I think, you know, we are looking to extend reach 100% off of our linear buy. I think we are looking at, you know, other replacements of cable viewing. You know, people are going to Netflix, they're going to Disney Plus, they're going to Paramount Plus and Peacock and, you know, but they're also, those are all another form of cable networks, if you will, right? So it's just trying to compete and, and find those folks. And then we're looking at, you know, a big part of ours is, is social and YouTube, right? So it's not just the higher premium content CTV, but it's also the social platforms because we know they're multitasking. We also know that the younger generation is watching a lot of stuff on YouTube, right? So we want to make sure we're there as well. So it is, every, the objective is still the same, is to reach as many people and drive awareness. Now, the way it comes to life might be a little bit different on different platforms, but we do look at a holistic video strategy across premium online content and social content together um, across the board. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of pixels to be, uh, to be managing at any given time. Just delving a little more deeply into some of the initiatives that go beyond the screen, are there any that have specifically really taken traction recently? Is there TikTok? Is there stuff that is there a return now in a way to some things on the more experiential side, as we kind of always do this ebb and flow of, of how we, of how we respond to stuff. Are there any other platforms and strategies that, that really seem to have taken off lately? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's two great examples of that, especially as the world is opening up and there's more events and there's more people are comfortable out and about, which we're super excited about because we were very much into that before everything, you know, especially with Pepsi and music and sports. And we needed everyone to be at those events because that's when people were consuming our product, right? I think a great example is our Super Bowl halftime show activation that we did this past year. You know, we, going back to value and the consumer and making sure we're relevant, you know, we had an app that they downloaded along with it. And then during the Super Bowl performance, you know, we partnered with Verizon and the NFL, and we provided a second screen experience that was exclusive behind the scenes that would that you couldn't normally find, right? And then there were additional prizes and stuff. So we took that live experience that was, you know, one in stadium, but then broadcast, but then also enabled consumers to participate in that experience through this app, which was fantastic. And by the way, we were also able to get some first party data, right, which we know Packaged good companies, historically, we struggle with. So that is something that is uh, definitely on our radar. So we want to make sure we can start doing that with, through these promotions. And then the other most recent one, we partnered with Mary J. Blige, and she did a, a festival in Atlanta around Mother's Day for Strength of a Woman. And that was a very much on-the-site activation. And it, it, we, we did do some really unique things with NFTs, and we tried to make that very immersive. And then the media amplification, honestly, was all about influencers. And influencer marketing is also a big part of what we do, where you know they're there taking pictures and talking about it, and we brought talent. So we're trying to make every event a cultural event and then amplifying it either through media platforms, influencers, and or experiences we can provide to get that scale. Forget 360. This is like 720 or some other, some other, some other number, some other degree that I, that I don't have the mathematical capacity to do. It, it's, it's so, it's such an amazing undertaking of where to target people because Spotless is specifically about television. 
Going back to your uh, presence in CTV, now that almost every player in the space has a streaming service, how is PepsiCo navigating what's become a very fragmented landscape of AVOD and SVOD services? Yeah, great question. And I think we don't have an answer to it 100% yet, but we are starting to do and have been testing. And I think there's two ways into it. One, the big holding companies, they all have advanced TV products, technologies, and ad tech that their streaming platform is part of their rest of their digital ecosystem and their advanced TV, linear data-driven linear TV. So I am very interested in how to move more like a digital first mindset into some of the publishing companies like NBCU, Disney, and Paramount, where they have multiple offerings and a tech stack already. And then I think the other way in is is partnering with a DSP that potentially already has the existing inventory and then being able to create either a, a private marketplace or a guarantee type of marketplace where PepsiCo is then being able to manage and use technology to frequency cap and use our targeting and our data to make sure that we can access the inventory that makes sense for when our brands campaigns across the board, we want to bid on them. So I think it's it's basically a two-prong approach that we're looking at. Just another, another means of strategy to try to work the best solution in. Building off that question, measurements and the need for better standardization continues to be a major topic of conversation in our industry. What are the tools that you're using to target audiences, better understand consumer behaviors, and really assess the impact of streaming when quantifying and activating these types of campaigns? Yeah, you know, I think measurement has always been a challenge, honestly, since I started this industry, right? Like everyone measures something a little bit differently, or they have their own third party study that they use. And there's not a a one, there's no one perfect cross channel, creative media connected to performance uh, business results for a packaged good company. So we are definitely on the journey to try to find that. And I think our company has positioned ourselves uh, a number of years ago, we started taking ownership of our data. We use a proprietary data source that we call cDNA data, which is a combination of first party, second and third party data that we then use to target and activate our media against. So that has actually proven that over the last couple of years that our media is driving more effectiveness and driving higher uh, results on ROI. And then we do have another tool in-house called ROI Engine, which is basically a mixed model mechanism where we, we have certain things broken out down to, to your point about, you know, premium online video or CTV. There's so many different definitions of what you want to call it. And we have that because it's digital, we can do data feeds in and we can understand the performance at the brand level, not necessarily the creative level of what is driving the business. And we can compare that to linear TV. We can compare it to outdoor. We can compare it to social. We can compare it to display. So there is there is some mechanisms that we can break it down. Um, I would like it to be broken down a little bit more, but I know that that's a big undertaking because it's a lot of data. But those are the two things we use right now in-house. And then, of course, we always look for our partners. We use third-party studies, Cantar, IRI, Catalina, 
you know, sales lift, you know, purchase intent, and then brand equity stuff in terms of, you know, brand love and association. So it, it, there's a variation of things that we use uh, to try to measure success. This is good, though. You're in a public forum to say Katie wants more granular data. This is you're putting it out into the world, having people listen. Well, I would say there's a lot of granular data. We just need a better job of processing it and getting outputs. And then from that, because these strategies are so, you know, they're not just doing one campaign on Twitter in one instance, in terms of the pivoting or adjusting, do you usually let campaigns then play out to see the full result of them? Or do you use this information to adjust things as you go? Yeah, we definitely use things to adjust uh, as we go. It's certainly easier on digital platforms than it is on linear TV for obvious reasons. We are, you know, we have weekly meetings with uh, the core stakeholders to understand what's happening on just media metrics, viewability, campaign delivery, impressions, and frequency management. And then the brand teams, they're very interested in how their creative is performing and what creative is driving you know, higher uh, click through or engagement or a video completion. So we do get our core teams together to make those real-time decisions. And if we have to adjust, we certainly will adjust. Or if there's no action to be taken, you know, we'll wait a couple more weeks and, until we build a little bit more scale. So that does happen um, automatically. Um, we have a, a dashboard built out that we can uh, enable those conversations. But then, yes, we do wait for our post-campaign reports and then even the ROI engine is a little bit longer because there's so many other inputs that have to come in from our side of, you know, displays and pricing and sales. So that's a, a bigger holistic, holistic picture versus, you know, hey, what is my viewability? And it is a consumer looking at this display ad versus another one. Exactly. That completely makes sense. And in terms of what viewers are looking at this year, we have seen an explosion of various new innovative ad formats, especially in the CTV space. This goes from pause ads to in-show post-production product placements. We've even seen some PepsiCo products, uh, Mountain Dew cans, Bubbly cans, Frito-Lay products, Pure Leaf boxes, and then to inter interactive ads. What is your approach to capitalizing on these emerging technologies and like you've discussed, being an innovator in that space? Yeah, so we have dollars set aside to drive innovation. You know, it's almost like the, I want to say 75-ish, 20-ish, you know, one to five to 1% of innovation dollars, right? Give or take. And I think, you know, we were before Netflix announced, Disney Plus announced that they're all going to start taking ads and, you know, trying to figure out what is really subscription-based and what is ad-supported uh, and even them, there's still a lot of them that are behind the paywall, right? So we started this, how do we get in, integrated into these platforms, even if they're not ad supported? So that is where some of these product placement opportunities come in. And we have a robust strategy with a content strategy where product placement is part of it, which could be content partnerships where we are able to take product placements and, and post-production and put them in content. Or there are there things further upstream where we can do a fuller, fuller, bigger content integration. We did something with Paramount and we co-developed a program called Becoming a Pop Star, right? Where that was fully brand integration, but that's much further upstream. And that also was on their streaming platform. So I think there's a lot of different ways in for us. 
but product placement, using technology to make sure that we can, our brands are in those places that are not supported by ads. And then in those places that are supported with ads, how do we make sure that we're driving some sort of innovation and utilizing those different advanced uh, products to make sure that we can keep the consumer's attention uh, and make sure that they find it entertaining and want to buy our product? The, the universal challenge is how do we, how do we get the eyeballs how do we maintain the contents of fidelity? I love the new things that are emerging though, to be able to do this. As a 15 year PepsiCo veteran, you have built deep rooted partnerships with media leaders at Facebook, at YouTube, with NBCU. Can you speak to the power of these partnerships and how the brand continues to grow and benefit from your relationships with these organizations? Yeah, I think we have uh, outstanding partnerships across the board, not even just those folks, but even Disney, Warner, Paramount, across the board. I think we try to build partnerships and not just uh, build transactions, right? And these partners are in it when business is good and they're in it with us when partner when business is not so good, right? And they're here to help us solve our business solutions, our business problems, I should say and they provide solutions. So that's why we continuously build on these partnerships. We probably share with them a lot of information that's not you know, public knowledge to say, how can we fix this? What are you guys doing here? And like, likewise, they give us sneak peeks of what they're doing. Like what is their slates? What are they working on? What are their new uh, big bets? And I think we mutually agree upon the one or two thing, one or two things that we want to, you know, build together over a long term. So nothing is ever a short term. And then we get, you know, we just get better work, honestly. And I think we get better ideas when you take some of the other transaction, you know, transactional nature out of it. It really is the collaborative spirit of the usually the best partnerships that exist that incorporate these different perspectives and these different types of partners. I love it. As we wrap up. We like to end our conversations with a prediction on the future of television. So your mind reader hat served you well earlier. We'll see if this can continue. Based on all of the growth data and trends that we're seeing to date, what does the industry look like in five years from now, specifically as it relates to what is the ad model and what devices are people most watching things on? That's a great question. Uh, five years, if I had a crystal ball, I still think the large screen, whether you want to call it a TV or not, is here to stay. I think that is an entertainment hub for friends, family, and they are cost effective and they're awesome, right? So I think that is not going anywhere. Whether or not they're watching cable, you know, getting their content through a, a, a Verizon or a cable provider or uh, you know, an OTT or something else. I don't know about that. I think, you know, I'm still, I still subscribe to cable and I pay for subscriptions as well. I, you know, I want to have the fast broadband and all that other stuff. I also do think, you know, the phone is, it's a blessing and a curse. And I have kids and I see how they are on them all the time and they're, and it's part of their, you know, their daily lives. Uh, and I do think that is going to be the, where they're still going to continue to watch stuff, but I do think they like to get off of it and watch the big screen a hundred percent. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. I don't think the devices are going away. I think if there's more social platforms that pop up like a TikTok, I think we're, you know, we're in for more fragmentation and more short form. 
But when it comes to long form, I think people really want to sit back and, and enjoy and, and, and watch the great content on a big screen. I know I certainly do. I can't see that changing, but I look forward to seeing where this goes. And we'll all know that when we can instantly shop a Pepsi, either out of our TV screen or to our door, that, that you will be behind whatever this, this evolution is. Katie, thank you so much for being on Spotless. This was such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I hope you can have me back another time, but really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Spotless. To hear more from our guests, find us in the Apple, Spotify, and Google podcast stores. Tune in next week for more from the boldest voices across creative technology and television. I'm your host, Alexis Ruff. I love TV and I hate camping.